do 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 Uh, but my brother-in-law did give me an Irish tin whistle and I have been trying to learn how to play the Simpsons on it. So maybe for the next episode, you guys will be, you'll be blessed with the sound of me attempting to play that. Anyway, guys, howdy doodly. My name is Perry and welcome to another episode of Hello, Mr. Burns, a research podcast where I talk about old school Simpsons episodes and how watching these episodes might make you sound smarter. I am smart. S-M-R-T. I mean, S-M-A-R-R-T. Welcome back to my wonderful listeners. Uh, welcome to my wonderful new listeners. And a very special welcome to the Hemsworth brothers. If you're listening to this, slide into my DMs and your welcome hamper will be in the mail in an instant. Today's podcast episode is a deep dive of the seventh episode of season one. The name of this episode is The Call of the Simpsons. His name isn't Bigfoot. His name is Homer. So as always, we'll start with a super duper quick episode synopsis, list out some new and notable characters, and then we're just going to get straight into some good old research and did you knows. This episode kind of feels like a fever dream. Like I have no recollection of watching this episode ever, but it's a goodie. So yeah. I'm surprised by that. Anyway, let's get into it. So really quick episode synopsis. So the episode follows the Simpsons journey into the wilderness after Homer buys a secondhand RV and gets them lost in the woods. Homer and Bart leave the girls to find help. Marge and Lisa stay behind and build a fire and Maggie ends up being adopted by a family of bears. While they're beating around the bush, <laughs> a passing wildlife photographer sees Homer covered in mud with a mouthful of bees and he takes some photos thinking that he's seen Bigfoot, and it leads to a huge media frenzy. Bigfoot, legendary half-man, half-ape, is no longer a legend. After Marge and Lisa are rescued by park rangers, uh, Marge tells the media that the monster in question is her husband, leading to these wonderful tabloid headlines like, I married Bigfoot. Now let's get back to your uh, husband. Uh, how would you describe your marital relations? Brutish? Is this going to be on TV? Coast to coast. Homer is captured and taken into the lab for testing, but he returns home after the scientists agree that he is either a below average human being or a brilliant beast. The end. Two characters that make their very first appearance in this episode are Cowboy Bob. How much is it? <laughs> You're a man of your convict. You just wanted to ask that and blurted it out, didn't you? Yeah, how much is it? Well... First of all, I want you to know I like your face. You do? I really do. I'm not saying that. I mean it. You got color in there? You're not Roman, are you? No. Look like a god, sort of. And everyone's favorite bootleg Kennedy, Mayor Quimby. Now, Cowboy Bob, I have, like, I, I don't even know who this character is. Um, just one of those weird earlier season one characters. Uh, so he was voiced by Albert Brooks, who would later go on to voice the supervillain Hank Scorpio. That's actually one of my favorite episodes. Love Hank Scorpio. So IGN Network has named Albert Brooks's guest performance in this episode the best ever guest appearance in the show's history. And I'm going to just come out of the woods to say I cancel this comment because I think that Michael Jackson's was much better. But then again, what would I know? I'm not a network. I'm not a network yet. Dun, dun, dun. I don't know what that means, by the way. I've just had my, I just had my Pfizer vaccination this morning and I think the 5G is getting to my brain. Who knows? Um, if you do watch the episode, you'll notice that there's a scene with a bunny rabbit, 
And that is a throwback to Matt Groening's Life in Hell furry comic. Um, also, there's one scene where Homer and Bart, they fall off a waterfall and they lose all their clothes. Um, and they end up hiding their nudity using some mud and leaves and everything like that. And what I found is that on a lot of the Simpsons forums, this moment has been happily noted as being the first time we see Homer naked. Now, I don't think that's actually worth noting, but the fact that plenty of other people do is notable enough. You're all perverts, I swear to God. Any hootie doody. Let's see what we can learn with from this episode. Now, this is a fun one, so strap up, guys. The episode gets its name from Jack London's novella, The Call of the Wild, which was a companion novel of London's other book, which was White Fang. So The Call of the Wild is about a kidnapped, domesticated dog embracing his wild ancestry to survive and thrive in the wild. Kind of reminds me of, I just, um, maybe actually it would have been last year now, but then again, what is time? Um, I finally got around to reading Women Who Run With The Wolves. And I think that's kind of like the girl boss version of The Call of the Wild. So White Fang, the companion novel, is about a wolf-dog hybrid who's domesticated after a life of violence in the wild. I read White Fang as a kid, and I used to get nightmares about Lip Lip. Um, Lip Lip was another puppy that bullied White Fang when they were living with the Native Americans. Lip Lip is actually a really cute little name for a dog. Huh, interesting. So I haven't read Call of the Wild, but I was interested to see that it was part of Alexander Supertramp, a.k.a. Christopher McCandless's reading list. If you don't know about Alexander Supertramp or Christopher McCandless, um, I'd highly recommend reading John Krakow's Into the Wild. Not sure if I've said his name right. It might be Krauka. Um, but the book is called Into the Wild. Or you can watch the movie with Emile Hirsch by the same name. Now, I could spend an entire afternoon shouting Alexander Supertramp theories to you, but just know that he didn't have the book on him when he died. Instead, he always said that Jack London inspired him to go into the wild. And when he was found in the magic bus in Alaska, he had actually scratched into the wall of the bus, Jack London is king. So now that we've kind of covered the magical, fluffy literary world of Jack London and you know, a kid who was angsty who decided to eat some berries. Um, let's get into some more scientific grounded things. You know, let's let's talk about reasonable topics. Let's talk about Bigfoot. Yeah. Let's talk about Bigfoot. Yeah. Dun, 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 dun. Um, so Bigfoot, also known as the Sasquatch, is a mythical ape-like creature that is said to lurk the forests of North America. Now, Bigfoot sightings have been around for decades, um, almost centuries, and you've got thousands of people that have all claimed to see the same thing. So more often than not, the story goes that someone is in a forest or a woods or in an isolated spot, and they encounter a large, muscular, bipedal ape-like creature, usually around 2 meters or 2.5 meters, covered in black, dark brown, reddish hair. A sighting of Bigfoot often is accompanied by the smell of rotten eggs. Now, the naturalist who took these absolutely extraordinary pictures was most impressed by the creature's uncivilized look, its foul language, and most of all, its indescribable stench. So the most well-known video of an alleged Bigfoot sighting is called the Patterson-Gimlin film and was recorded on October 20th, 1967 by Roger Patterson, and Robert Bob Gimlin. Um, they're exploring an area called Bluff Creek in Northern California. So the story goes that 
Patterson and Gimlin were out riding their horses one day when they came around a corner overlooking a creek and they saw like this gigantic figure. He was either crouching by the creek or standing. There's like conflicting ideas about it. So um, the men estimated that this giant hairy figure was about two meters tall, covered in brown or black reddish hair with ape like prominent breasts. Okay. So one of the funny things about Bigfoot, this is what I truly enjoy, is listening to all these experts and these like really academic people and these just absolute nerds, like basement nerds, um, giving you really in-depth analysis and theories of whether or not Bigfoot is real based on Bigfoot's boobs. Now, this is true. So... (laughs) So usually when they analyze the Patterson-Gimlin footage... All of the experts will talk about Bigfoot titties. And I even distinctly remember watching a documentary when I was little. They'd taken the Patterson-Gimlin footage, put it through a lab or something, like from CSI, and they'd zoom enhanced onto Bigfoot's titties and talked about how um, the physics of how they bounced when Bigfoot walked proved that this is a real boob. And as we take a look at this frame, you can also clearly see that the creature has breasts. Um... It's fun because you get to see these like really serious scientists being like, well, you can say, by the way, her ample breast bounces when she walks. And, you know, they'll be like, oh, it's very difficult to achieve that level of bounce without it being a real breast. You know, they do like a really heavy B, like breasts. It also reminds me of the way that Julia Roberts says breasts in <laughs> Notting Hill. What is it about men and nudity? Hmm? Particularly breasts. How can you be so interested in them? Um, So back to Patterson and Gimlin. So they're standing there. They see Bigfoot across the creek with her perky titties up in the air. And um, the men's horses went ballistic. So they started rearing and freaking out. Um, Patterson grabbed his camera and started filming the creature. So when he was about 25 meters away from the creature, it glanced over its right shoulder and Patterson fell to his knees. Later, Patterson would say that the creature's expression towards the two men was one of contempt and disgust. He said, you know how it is when the umpire tells you one more word and you're out of the game? That's how it felt. So sadly, Patterson passed away from cancer in 1972, but he did say right to the end that the creature on film was real. Bob Gimlin, God bless Bob, I love him, he's such a fun character. He has also denied being part of any hoax. Um, he actually he actually avoided the public eye for a very, very long time until about 2005 when he began giving interviews and appearing at Bigfoot conferences. By the way, Bigfoot conferences are huge. There's like a whole industry behind this. And I have to say the reason I love Bob is because the best part of any interview with him is the way he says the word creek. Have a listen to this. How far away was she when you first saw her? Just across the creek. About like from here across the creek. So the Patterson-Gimlin footage has been pretty controversial in the cryptozoology community. It always has people divided on its authenticity. And yeah, there's a lot of conflicting views about whether or not it's real. But again, the best part of it all is all of the arguments boil down to Bigfoot's ass and titties. Ass, titties, ass and titties. For example, we have the lovely Bernard Herblemons. I don't know if I've said his name right. Um, he's a zoologist and the so-called father of cryptozoology. Um, so he thought the creature in the Patterson film was a human in a costume. And he said that the proof of this comes from, and I quote, 
hair flow pattern as being too uniform, to the hair on the breasts as not being like a primate, to its buttocks as being insufficiently separated. Which um, had me thinking, like, well, I, I don't know, like, uh, how, how, how are your butt cheeks supposed to sit? Are they supposed to be really far apart? Like, how far is too far? I don't know. Um, we also had Esteban Sarmiento. So he is actually a specialist in physical anthropology at the American Museum of Natural History. Um, and he's got 25 years of experience with great apes in the wild. And my favorite comment from him on the Patterson-Gimlin footage was just that the gluteals, although large, fail to show a human-like crack. <laughs> so lots of people over the years have continued to argue how this footage was created. Um, there's a lot of special effects teams recreating the suit. And I have to say that as I delve deeper and deeper into the Bigfoot community, I found it to be one of the most toxic, hardcore, paranormal communities I've seen in a hot minute. It's interesting because in these niche paranormal communities, there's often a lot of hostility. Um, you know what? I'm going to backtrack on that. I have found that the UFO community is even more aggressive, but the Bigfoot community took me by surprise because for some reason in my head, I just associated Bigfoot with kind of like happy paranormal stuff. You know, there's a, the, the, like to me personally, Bigfoot is not a bad thing. It's like a lovely thought that there's this hairy man and woman with a giant perky titties just living in the woods somewhere, minding their own business. That's great. You, you do that. But some people get really aggressive about it. And because I love YouTube drama, like I spent hours going down the James Charles Tati Westbrook drama rabbit hole on YouTube. Um, I found this little fun drama that's happening in the Bigfoot community. So there were these two unemployed brothers named Wes Germer and Woody Pratt. And um, the story goes that they claimed that they got jumped by Bigfoot when they were driving. And because of this, they decided to start a podcast called the Sasquatch Chronicles. And it was kind of like where they interview people who would call in and talk about their Bigfoot experiences. This podcast was super popular. Like I'm saying that it regularly ranked in the science podcast category on iTunes. And um, it's actually a really fun podcast if you get the chance to listen to it. It's just people calling up and talking about Bigfoot. These two brothers together created kind of like a community of devoted Sasquatch enthusiasts, which in turn, as all communities do, gave birth to kind of like a more extremist offshoot of Sasquatch lovers. And this is what I'm talking about, toxic gatekeeping community stuff. So in the Sasquatch Chronicles, we sort of had the community divide in two. And you had on one side those that thought that, you know, Bigfoot was just a peaceful loner. It was just, he's minding his own business. He, he tolerated people trespassing on his land and he just wanted peace and quiet. Um, and these people were often openly mocked by the more extreme side of the Sasquatch Chronicle community who thought that Sasquatch was something to be feared, that it should be, we should want to kill all Bigfoots, big feet, Bigfoots. Anyway, basically those guys, the more extreme side also tended to align with the idea that Bigfoot was a government conspiracy. You can kind of see what these sort of people were. And that the government were actively trying to cover up the existence of Bigfoot. So unfortunately, the beef between these two sides of the community began to tear the community at the seams. And it was revealed that a splinter group um, known as the Washington Sasquatch Research Team had evidence that the two brothers 
were phonies. Um, actually, one of the co-founders of WAST, which is short for the Washington Sasquatch Research Team, came out and said, the only things worse than hoaxes are murderers, rapists, and child molesters. This guy's name is also Steve Mojo Wilkins. Love him. Okay, so the moment that WAST went to war against the Sasquatch Chronicles, um, the community just went wild. Um, one Forbes journalist, Brad Lockwood, said that it was a community gone feral. Apparently, like, people felt cheated. Something called online cannibalization commenced where listeners were either cancelling their memberships to the Sasquatch Chronicles or they were, like, doubling down and supporting the brothers. Um, so the drama has actually calmed down a bit online now. The show is still on air but there's less of a crossover between those people who think it's a government conspiracy and those people who support the show. There's like quite a division between the two. And look, all I can say is that if you want to go down the rabbit hole of Bigfoot, and I highly suggest you do if you haven't already lost your mind in this pandemic, this is the way to do it. You need to get your teeth into the last podcast on the left series. They do a great super in-depth look at the occult and all things Bigfoot. It's wonderful. Um, otherwise, you can listen to my amazing friend's podcast, Spooky Gals. And let me just say that Jazz is the Sasquatch queen. Alrighty. So on that note, we are going to be wrapping up episode seven of The Simpsons, The Call of The Simpsons. <gasps> Park, look. Huh. So that was actually a really fun one. I'm going to be honest, I'm a little bit delicate today because, you know, 5G and all of that stuff. Um, but I really enjoyed researching this one. So the next episode that we've got coming up is episode eight, The Telltale Head. And um, if you've seen the new stupid opening for The Simpsons, that's what that opening bit with Ralph is referencing. Yeah, stupid. Anyway, we're not going to talk about the new Simpsons because it doesn't exist, unlike the Sasquatch, which does. Anyway, gang, thank you so much for listening. I really do appreciate your support with my madness. Um, my name is Perry. And as always, keep watching the skis.